Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, episode number 156 for Thursday, September 12th, 2019. I am Josh Cannon, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, Mike! Oh, my God! You've had a sex change. I knew you were going to go through with it. You said you were joking, but I knew in my heart that you were going to become a female. Mike, how does it feel to be a woman? You know, life was life was really keeping me down, and I felt like uh, this was a change that I needed in my life. So you you're going with uh, Stephanie, correct, as uh, your temporary that, name? Yeah, yeah. Until I until I figure out like who I really feel I am, um, that's going to be my new associated identity at this time. And okay. I, I ask that you please respect. That. Okay, okay. Enough with the fun, fun and games already here. Yes, Stephanie is back on the podcast. Uh, no, we are not slowly phasing Mike out, <laughs> <laughs> though it may appear that way. Um, no, uh, it, it's a scheduling thing, man. You know, it's like we we got things we're doing. You know, in life, all of us. You know, we all got things. Mike's constantly working and doing this, that, and the other, and. Um, you know, me and Stephanie were doing the band stuff and pretty much the only time he was going to be available this week to do the podcast was Sunday. And first of all, that's bullshit for you. Patreon listeners, because you guys deserve it earlier than the day we release. I mean, cause I release it Sunday night. He's not saying you're better than everyone else, but that's kind of what he's saying. I mean, you're giving me money, so <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't, I love everyone the same, but I mean, if you're paying us for a service, then God damn it, I'm going to make sure you get, you know, the bang for your proverbial buck there. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I felt like, and besides that, me and Stephanie have a show coming up in Jacksonville, Florida, Friday, September 27th at a venue called Rain Dogs, should you happen to live in the Jacksonville, Florida area. You can come out and see our band, and uh, we are going to be doing a new thing on uh, Sunday, which is another reason why I wouldn't have been able to do the podcast. Uh, me and Stephanie are going to go down to the Art District uh, in Jacksonville, a place called Riverside, and uh, we are going to sit some plastic buckets down the ground. We're going to sit on said buckets, and we're going to busk. We're not going to ask for money, but we're going to play our music for strangers on the street. I've never done that. I've never been in any band that has done that. To me, it's a completely uh, unique idea, and it's a cool way to promote and really just force our, our band onto uh, everybody, you know, whether they like it or not. You know, like, it's like, you will listen to us, damn it. Yeah, and essentially, you know, yeah, we are becoming street urchins slowly but surely, but it does kind of like, it does also prove that not only can we do electronic stuff, we're good at the acoustic stuff too which is kind of fun to be able to do both 
So, and we'll have materials to hand out and, you know, so people can, you know, leave with uh, some kind of idea of who we are. The main, the main purpose is really to make sure that people know our names. Like we, band name recognition is very important. So. Yeah. When I first got involved in like making my own music back in the day, I was like, you know, I see so much flaws with touring. You're going out and you're expending all this gas money and in your own time, going to these cities where no one's ever heard of you and you're playing for five people. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go to the internet and make these really viral, great videos and I will reach people online. And then when I build up these pockets of fans in these various cities, I'll be able to find that data out and go to the cities where I'm wanted. That way I'm not wasting time. Well, that was a great thought in theory and all, but it, it didn't, it didn't actually <laughs> work out that way because uh, the internet is, I mean, if you think there's a lot of competition in the real world when it comes to bands online, good God, everybody, everybody's got a SoundCloud nowadays. Everybody's trying to pimp their shit out. So it was a lot more difficult to uh, take over the world via the internet than, than what I thought. So I really feel like um, it's, it needs to be a blend of both. It needs to be online strong online presence and a strong physical presence on the streets pounding yeah. the pavement it's it's that authenticity thing and you believe in something more if you've seen it with your own eyes i you know like i remember the first time i ever saw 21 pilots was well before they were ever a main stage act and i was like who, who the hell are these guys <clears throat> they came out in skeleton masks and he was back flipping off the piano and he went out to the middle of this gigantic, uh, it's called Met Park uh, in Jack's, and he like climbed the scaffolding for the sound area, he was back flipping off the bus, and I was like, man, I am sold. I am so down with this. And this was well before they were ever like big, but yet again, impact, impact. I'd never heard of them. And so that's like, if I see you in person and I see what you have to offer, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So that's what... I'm hoping with this uh, new thing that we're doing um, that will come of it is like people will see that, hey, it's not just because a lot of people would assume two people, electronic type band, a lot of it is just, you know, bullshit. It's fake. It's like, you know, what like SoundCloud rappers do. Yeah, they didn't make any of the music. No, we do. We do. But it seems like, you know, you just got to prove yourself a little bit more. So I think it'll be good for us to get out in the community and have have, uh, you know, People who actually live in our town, knowing who we are, we're up in the top five uh, nominations for best of original bands, Jack's Folio. So, so this was a great. nice, uh, this was a nice Dancing with Ghost podcast <laughs> segment here. So now you know a little bit more, even more about our band than you may have wanted to know. But I can't help it, folks. If you like me, if you're a fan of me, uh, this is a huge, huge ass part of my life. And I just really feel like you should know about it if you don't. Well, just pretend I'm Mike and I'm talking about Michaels right now. Does that? Does or that or some Cause obscure is, film. Because this is what matters to me as well. So unfortunately, it's like same, same. Yeah. Anyway, we've got uh, we've got two unsolved mysteries for you this week. Um, I've been mining the depths. I remember when I said a while ago that we'd scrape the bottom of the barrel. I don't I don't know if I think that's necessarily true. Although I feel like we probably have about another good 20 episodes in us until we are officially unequivocally scraping the bottom of the barrel. So we're going to have to, we're gonna, me and Mike are going to have to get creative with some uh, documentary ideas or something. Because we haven't done a non-Unsolved uh, Mysteries podcast in, in a minute. So I feel like the, we should probably uh, go off the beaten path to uh, preserve 
things more, as you will, if you will. Halloween is coming up. You could do that. Yeah. Why is the thing... With this device that I'm using to record, uh, I think if I'm like getting a message or whatever, um, my my it actually starts going like it did in like the 2000s before they developed better shielding from RF signals and like cell phone signals. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. Trying to sound smart. Anyway, this is the case of Cheryl Holland, and wow, what a heartless bitch this lady was. No joke. Good lord, man! Like. I cannot fathom the level of, uh, I am taking my shirt off right now as I'm talking because it's getting hot in here as it always does when I podcast. So sexy. Uh, anyway, yeah, Stephanie can actually see my <laughs> nakedness and it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's unfortunate for me, but you know. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. She's playing a character right now. She loves my naked body. But, uh, but yeah, this chick, honestly, as I was watching the segment, it took the segment took me on some on some rides. I was like, no, no, like I didn't even I couldn't even entertain it at the time. So they did a good job uh, building the, the the storyboard for this particular segment. Ow! Random cramp in my ribs. You're probably dying. You're 31 now, so. <clears throat> Why'd you have to dox my age, bro? I'm trying to I'm trying to have a, a <laughs> sexy, sleek image for the record labels if they're listening. Like I'm. We're trying to be like the next Jonas brother and sister. <laughs> the Jonas siblings. <laughs> I'm sure that'll work out really well. Yeah, just don't just don't get up close to our faces, goddammit. When we're doing the music video, if you get any clo- up close shots, you are fired. Do we have to get matching haircuts? Is that a thing? Anyway, the case of Cheryl Holland, this was from the fourth season. Um, it, it was still in that, that earlier, you know, phase of Unsolved Mysteries. A classic phase, I would like to say. Uh, before they got all, I don't know how to call it. They got, they got, uh, the, the, the budget went down in the later seasons, the way, even the way they filmed the, the way they were kind of trying to pander to what felt like a younger audience. Uh, if you remember the Don Devereaux interview I did, uh, a long ass time ago, which that was such a good interview. And I'm still can't believe I interviewed that guy. Uh, he was actually from the show Unsolved Mysteries. He was features a key interview in uh, the the Danny Casalero murder. Uh, he was talking about how Unsolved Mysteries in the later seasons uh, started taking the cases that they wanted to feature were, uh, you know, younger people. And they were trying to do various things here and there from the production to the music, everything. They were trying to cater to a younger audience. Which is stupid because their core demographic was not a young audience per se. I, I feel like it was, you know, housewives and, you know, 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 somethings. And, you know, the same audience that might enjoy a good soap opera. Don't ask me how I ended up be- it becoming my favorite show, but I just feel like they did a really great job on it. So it, it just translated to me. And then there's other, obviously, younger people that I know who like the show a lot, too. But, um, yeah, this is one of those classic cases that, um, you know, features an older couple that was, I mean, Jesus, man, if I was an old person and, and I just imagine being like in your sixties or seventies and you've lived your entire life, you know, just doing the right thing for the most part. And who like someone were to tell you that, Hey, the way that you're going to die is you're going to be murdered by someone you love and trust. Like that's going to be how you go out. 
Not to mention they were like upstanding town pillars. Like they were just good old folks, you know, just running good, honest business. Yeah, so 57-year-old Joe Harvey and his 54-year-old wife, Maddie, were a couple who lived in the small town of Lewis Chapel Mountain, Tennessee. Uh, that's a that's quite a mouthful for a city name. Uh, north of Chattanooga. For years, they ran a combination gas station and convenience store. It was the only place to buy gas and groceries for miles around. According to Joe's brother, Ed, it was common knowledge that they kept cash receipts in the store. He suggested that they keep the money elsewhere to prevent robberies. However, they trusted the community members and did not feel they needed to protect it. (laughs) (laughs) They were from a bygone era, apparently. On March 4th, 1991, a local sheriff was called to the Joe and Maddie's house to the Joe and Maddie's house. Okay, the Joe and Maddie's house Uh, because their store was not opened as scheduled. He found that the entire place had been damaged by fire. There was no trace of them inside. Blood spots were found outside. Agents from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation were brought in to investigate the case. A two-gallon gasoline can was found on the kitchen counter. More blood spots were found throughout the house. Investigators believed that Joe and Maddie had been attacked and kidnapped from their house, with robbery being the motive. They believed the fire was deliberately set to cover up the crime. Their 27-year-old niece, Cheryl Holland, vanished just a few days later. They did not have children of their own, but they were close to their extended family. They were especially close to Cheryl and her 5-year-old daughter. One week after Joe and Maddie vanished, Cheryl's pickup truck was found abandoned at a truck stop two hours from home. Investigators found that the keys were still inside. Next to it, they found a necklace belonging to her. Her pocketbook was found in it as well. This led investigators to believe that she may have also been abducted. Investigators next questioned Cheryl's 30-year-old common-law husband, Edward Allen Wooten. He said that before she vanished, she took him to Newport News, Virginia. He claimed that they stopped somewhere along the way to sleep, but he could not remember where. Other inconsistencies in his story made investigators suspicious. They suspected that he and Cheryl may have been involved in the Joe and Maddie's disappearance. Why do they keep calling him the Joe? I think I think just... they were going to go with a last name like the so-and-sos because I don't remember their fucking last name. But I think then they were like, oh, no, uh, Joe and Maddie's. And then I think they maybe just forgot to take out the the. I it, just Either that or they just, everything else seems like it's well-spoken English. So I don't know why that would be the the. I mean, he seemed like a pretty humble guy to be walking around going like, I'm the Joe. (laughs) I am the Joe. That's what you'll refer to me as. That's what I identify as. Anyway. uh, So the authorities suspected that Cheryl may have been involved in their disappearance. However, her family could not believe this. And now we run into a trope of unsolved mysteries. The family never thinking the other family member is capable of doing anything not bad. my baby. Not my baby. You're, you're, these are things that your family member could never do. They could never commit murder. They could never commit suicide. They could never rob from anybody else. They would never cheat on their spouse. They would never abuse or abduct children. They would never lie about seeing a UFO. Well, you know, that only happens to other people. Not them. Uh, Not them. No, no. 
So anyway, on March 10th, Eddie was questioned again. He claimed that in late February, he had taken Cheryl to a hospital in Knockville. Knoxville. <laughs> Knockville. <laughs> knock once. You know, knock twice if you hear a thumping. What, what am I talking about? Um, he had taken to, uh, Cheryl to a hospital in Knoxville for a week-long treatment for stomach cancer. And in the re- reenactment, he's just talking to the the, uh, the interrogators, and he's like, uh, yeah, I took her to a hospital for uh, uh, stomach cancer. Like, I thought that was really funny because it's like of all the things to make up, I'm pretty sure stomach cancer is like if you've gone to any kind of doctor for it, it's going to be proven yes or no. Like, it's not like I went in for stomach pains. At least that's kind of, you know, some kind of nebulous. Eh, it could be. It could be a thing, but like stomach cancer was really overzealous. I, I took her in for eyeball AIDS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, fuck. What? <laughs> um, so he claimed that he could not remember the name of the hospital that he took her to. And the authority is like, you don't remember the name of the hospital, which the fucked up thing about that is is yes, that looks bad on him, but that's also something that totally would happen to me. Well, you're shady, so... No, it's not that I'm shady. <laughs> I just haven't... I don't have a lot of common sense. I'm a very intelligent person, but not in the ways that are helpful in life. Correct. Like, I would totally go to a hospital and then get pulled over and then go, where, what hospital are you coming from? I honestly don't remember the name. Yeah, he would have been like, I can, uh, I can, I can take you there. Yeah, it's... I can draw pictures of the things I saw <laughs> in there, but I, I, I don't that remember doesn't... the make you sound like a mental ward escapee at all no not at all no uh relatives had told investigators that she had borrowed money from them to use for cancer treatments quote unquote investigators determined that she used it for other things big 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 surprise okay on the day eddie claimed that he took her to knoxville investigators confirmed that she was actually working in chattanooga confronted with the many inconsistencies eddie was like all right, if I tell you what happens, what's going to happen to me? He decided to confess the truth. He gave the same confession three different times. In it, he stated that on March 2nd, Cheryl came home from work, stating that she needed more money. They planned on going to her mother's home to pick up a paycheck. Along the way, they went to a gas station and purchased a gas can, which they filled up. After visiting her parents, Eddie and Cheryl went to Joe and Maddie's house to rob them. You know, the, 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 the aunt and uncle that was super close to Cheryl and loved her like a daughter. Yeah, that's that's what Cheryl decided that she wanted to do to repay them for all the years of of love and affection. Yeah. Now, during this part of the reenactment, I was definitely like suspending suspending belief for a second because I was like, oh, this is just some story, story he's telling. He probably killed her because, you know, she's missing. Da, 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 da. I hadn't actually thought at this point that... Uh, that was going to be that any of this was actually going to be true. So this is this is where the case really picks up. So Eddie claimed that when they went inside to rob them, uh, they left their daughter and six week year old son in the truck because six week year old, six week year old. Yeah. You know, <laughs> why don't you come off your fucking pedestal? OK, yeah, I said it. Six, six week year old. You moms out there know what I'm talking about you know, when the, you have a six-week-year-old son. The 204... Oh, he's 204 months. No, that's you. You're the... Yeah. F- <laughs> I, Stephanie's a baby. She's my 411-month-old. <laughs> she can talk and everything. 
But anyway, they left their kids in their truck because, you know, they have some kind of moral fabric after it's all. Good, it's good parenting, you know. You don't want them to be traumatized. Yeah. So as they were about to go inside, Josh started yawning. Sorry. As they were about to go inside, she told him that they had to kill them. And I liked in the reenactment, she's like, do you have the gun? And he's like, why, why do I need a gun? And she's like, because we, we're going to have to kill him. And he's like, why do we have to do that? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, Eddie's, uh, I think some of Eddie's family was interviewed in this segment. And one guy was like, well, first thing, Eddie was not educated. <laughs> and, you know, by the reenactment, it's like, yeah, that, that I that is a pretty uh, Kleinfeltery way to act, I guess you could say. If you don't know what Kleinfelter syndrome is, go look it up. But, um yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I've never been in love, but I, if I was in love, I, I would imagine that uh, my love would stop at, no, yeah, we're going to have to kill him. Go and get the gun. I'd be like, what? you're kidding, right? Like, what <laughs> the fuck did you just say? <laughs> Wait, rewind. Like, haha, uh, that was very funny. Okay, uh, cancel this plan. <laughs> uh, bring your ass back in the truck. I'm taking you home. I'm taking our kids and I am leaving your ass. Should have been what was said next. But what did old Eddie do? Just like Adam from the Garden of Eden, he just went right along with the woman as I'm as I'm darting my eyes over at oh. Stephanie. Oh, and he is because, you know, we are just the worst. You said it, not me. Everyone, I just need to make an announcement. I, as a woman, speak for all women, and I am telling you that we are, in fact, the worst. You're and, welcome. And somewhere in Minnesota, Liz, <laughs> from Perhaps It's You, has been triggered. Yeah. Oh! No, I'm just joking, Liz. Love you. Um. Anyway, um. so she's like, yeah, we we, we, we going to have to kill him. He was unwilling to do so, but she persuaded him. And according to the reenactment, it was like all of 20 seconds of persuading <laughs> No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, you know, all right. All right. Can, can we get a Frosty on the way home? All right, done. I, pr I tell you what, Eddie. I take my teeth out when we get home. Oh, say no more. Anyway, <laughs> after entering, she talked briefly to Joe and then went to get Maddie. A few seconds later, Eddie, like a fucking creep, lurked in and shot Joe while he was watching TV. Maddie ran into the living room and was also shot. Can I talk about how creepy it is that she like knows these people care for her so much and she goes in to lure, you know, her aunt out to luring them to their death. Quite literally, quite fucking literally. It is just so psychopathic. Like I can't even, this is nuts. And how nice, Monstrous. how nice Joe was when she just, know. just, she just walked up in their house without even like announcing that they were coming over. He's like, Oh, hi there, Cheryl. How's it going? That's how a lot of families are. Some, not all. Yeah. Oh, where's Maddie? Oh, she's in the back bedroom and she just walks back there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden fucking creepy ass Eddie pops up with his gun. And the thing is like, if they were really as close to her, like, I don't, if she, I think if she was like, oh, I'm really struggling right now, you know, uh, it's just greed. It's just greed because I think they would have given her the money because she's like, you know, they'll never da, 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 da. I don't think that's the case. I think she just wanted all of it. I think she just wanted all the money. Some of the money was not enough or alone was not enough. It was never really about like, 
you know, like, oh yeah, you know, I just want to be slightly more comfortable or, you know, be a little less stressed. No, you're a piece of fuck. That's, that's what it boils down to. She was suffering from that hillbilly greed. It's different than normal greed. <laughs> it's, it happens to hillbillies who never had anything nice. They've had to take shits and pots and pans in the mountains. They've seen big feet. They just want those nice flannels like they see on the television. They've done so much of that dip that it's done cut into their brain. They got tobacco poison mines. Oh my God. They're afraid they're going to hell. And they just want to get rich with a lot of money. So, Eddie shoots both of the uh, the elderly folks. Eddie and Cheryl then took Joe and Maddie's bodies and placed them in the trunk of their fucking own car. He followed her as she drove it over to the uh, over the Alabama state line and into the Tennessee River near the Bridgeport Ferry. Later, she returned to Joe and Maddie's house stole $150,000 in cash, and set the house on fire. Because these are things that nice people do. These are the things that loved, cared for people do. I mean, you'd think that this this lady, Cheryl, would have at least started with, like, killing a rat or something just to see how it felt, but she went, she went big. Yeah. She's but- like, I've done nothing illegal my whole life. Now I'm going to do everything that I can do. Um, except set a really good fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> except set a good, which dumbass. I mean, first of all, I've now granted, not everybody is a pyrotechnic expert <laughs> like I am. Uh, if you've ever seen the music video for the witch that we've done, um, you you will see some of my pyro expertise and, and the amount of work that we went through for Nightmare. We actually were looking up like how to make napalm, so we're probably on some uh, government watch lists. Because yeah, probably. I mean, I made napalm <laughs> when I was like very young, and it's very easy to make. In case you want to know, you just take uh, any anyway. Let's not gasoline. <laughs> this is fine. There's some other stuff you gotta I- do to make it, but I won't tell you that. Um, anyway, so all that happened. Investigators found a bloody fingerprint on the bottom of the gas can found in Joe and Maddie's house because apparently, as Stephanie said, Cheryl don't know how to start a fire. She was planning on that fire engulfing the entire house and just burning all the evidence magically. Like, why the fuck would you have left that there? You could have just taken it with you and put it in the car or dumped it anywhere, quite literally. Well, she she (laughs) legitimately just thought that that whole house was going to just go up in a blaze and it was just going to burn up all the evidence because if she took it with her, now she has another piece of evidence that she has to dispose of somewhere else that Mm -hmm. could be linked to her. So she's like, oh, this is a one-stop shop of destroying any kind of evidence that I'm involved in this. But it's a pretty inexpensive crime or so she thought she's like, you know, two bullets and some gasoline. It is surprising that the house didn't go up in flames, but it must have not. They must not have. She must not have poured it near like curtains or something. And the floor, the floor looked like it was like either wood floor or linoleum. Yeah, everything looked fake because it looked like one of those above ground kind of like trailer sort of thing. So the chances are it was a lot of synthetic yeah, Staff. there was there wasn't like a lot of like shag carpeting, and I mean, God forbid, the, the lady that we might talk about in the next case with Judge Fairbanks, this lady knitted her whole life out of uh, crochet, so she <laughs> she was just covered in afghans, and I mean, geez, one spark and that whole lady goes up in in flames. That 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 old geriatric, but that's coming up. That's a little teaser for the next story we're gonna be talking about. Um, so anyway, the bloody fingerprint on the gas can, it was matched to Cheryl's known thumbprint. 
Searchers began dragging the Tennessee River near the Bridgeport Ferry. On April 17, 1991, Joe and Maddie's car was found in the river with their bodies in the trunk. That part was just really sad. They used actual, you know, like actual footage, and it's just yeah. the the heaviness of it really kind of, they def- definitely did a good job of making sure that hits home because this is so real, you know, and it, it really is, you know, the poor guy that had to identify them, you know, like he's a dude who, you know, used to go to their convenience store and, you know, they have their groceries and you get your gas and you get your, your hometown news, as they put it, because uh, that was kind of like a community hub. And to have to go, the last thing you see of them to identify their bloated bodies that have gotten shot and thrown in the back of a car in a river, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. You know, it's ugh, ugh. Yeah. It, yeah. The investigator was like, you know, he was an old he he was, you know, he was lived in the town and he knew them and was a friend of them and he had to identify them. And the emotion that came through in the interview when he's like, you know, it was awful having to see them that way, knowing how they were in the store, seeing them every day and then seeing them in the back of a trunk. It was just real bad. And I mean, you know, you could tell for his being the stone faced police officer, he was still pretty messed up about it. Um, so. Both had been shot in the head, just as they had described. He was charged with the murders, and a warrant was issued for Cheryl's arrest. Investigators began tracking Cheryl's movements following the murders. They learned that she left their children with her mother. They also learned that an unidentified man appeared to be following her. At around 9.30 p.m. on March 7th, five days after the murders, she arrived at a service station in Greenville. Just seconds after entering it, she told the clerk, that she had to leave. As she went back to her truck, a bearded man wearing a leather jacket tried to talk to her. She left, and he, driving a red truck, followed her. About an hour later, Cheryl was spotted using a payphone at a truck stop 12 miles from the previous station. She told her family that she was about two hours from home. Later, another witness spotted two people talking in her truck. The unidentified man was apparently at her workplace on the day before the murders. She was seen writing him a check. Investigators are uncertain how this man is connected to the case. She was last seen at a truck stop at around 11.30 p.m. on the night of March 7th. Her family believes that the unidentified man was responsible for her disappearance. However, investigators are certain that she is alive and still on the run. And the update is she was captured. Thanks to a viewer's tip, just 45 minutes after the broadcast, Cheryl was arrested in Rollingwood, Texas, at the convenience store where she had worked for six months. She was living under the assumed name Amy Elizabeth Forrester. Her colleagues were shocked about her double life. Four days later, Cheryl was returned to Tennessee to face the murder charges. She pleaded guilty and was spared the death sentence. She and Eddie are now serving life sentences for the murders. She will not be eligible for parole until November 2021. Coming up. He will not be eligible until April 2020. I don't understand how the trigger man is getting out before. Now, I mean, I guess yes, he didn't plot it. Plotting is is uh, the premeditative fact is, I guess, more severe. But I mean, he technically did it. So I don't know how that all plays out. But yeah, it was a gruesome case, man. Like it's 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 another one of those rare cases where it, it's you see uh, a female for once being so devious and cold hearted cold. and. And, uh, you know, just manipulative, you know, and you, you rare the, the reason I even make that statement is because it's so rare to see because it's like 95 percent the male 
uh, gender that is uh, going out and doing this stupid ass shit, horrific shit. You know, it, it's we we are typically the devious, uh, uh, cruel bastards when it comes to the murder and the rape and all that. But yeah, yeah the murder thing, you know, definitely hits home a lot more with men because mm -hmm. you know, like rather than oh. Uh, you know, she's, you know, she's going to divorce me or I would like a divorce instead. It's like, she can't be with anybody if it's not with me. Got to kill her. You know, and it's like most women don't really think that way. I don't think, but it seems to happen a fair amount with men because you hear stories all the time. I mean, we, we have them in Jacksonville all the time. And it's like, how about, you know, d divorce really should be okay. It's not the end of the world. And yet, you know, these instances still happen. And this is just so calculated. So, so monstrous. I just, well, I can't. Well, I, I tell you what. Oh, my God. I, I tell you what right Stop now. Stop breathing on them. I'm going to tell you He's what. He's breathing on you guys, and I'm if so sorry. You, Stephanie, you listen to me right now. If you ever leave me, if you ever try to leave me, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. He threatens to push me down the stairs all the time. Don't listen I, to this. I'm just telling you straight. If, if I ever, I'm, if I'm I ever fall down the stairs, I want this used. Well, you sh if you interrupt me <laughs> one more time, I kill you. I kill you. I'm shooting. I'm just shooting straight with you right now. I'm just being straight, straight shooting, straight, straight, straight. straight. You're I'm just shooting straight. On all these poor people. I, I kill you. I kill you. I find you. I kill you. You don't have to find me. I'm here like all the time. I kill you right now. I kill you. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> my voice is too raspy to do all my high-pitched squeals today. Stop it! Stop it! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! He's low-key choking me all right, right now. Anyway, so. um, that was fun. That was role-playing. Uh, yeah, it was a fucked-up case uh, on season four. I recommend you watch it if you're into fucked-up cases, which a lot of you who listen to true crime are. Up next, we have a fucked-up case of a different kind, different flavor. This is embezzlement and fraud. From a judge, which is weird because people in power, people in political power, they never do anything like this. So it's very bizarre that uh, this judge was screwing people out of their money. But, um, oh boy, does he get his comeuppance, well, by his own hand. But uh, yeah. yeah, we'll find out about that. John Fairbanks was a judge in Newport, New Hampshire, who also ran a successful law firm specializing in probate law. Fairbanks was also well-liked and known for being honest. A respected pillar of society, he handled many of the money affairs for his clients. He also helped widows of his clients dealing with their affairs. Fairbanks had been helping Newport resident Patricia Sawyer since 1958. He had helped settle her husband's estate. He had also helped with her income taxes. In August 1987, she turned over stock certificates to him so he could inventory her holdings. He had also told her he would help with her will. However, every time she would call about it, he would say he was unable to work on it. Yeah, that that uh, that is what you would say, uh, which what you would call a long con. Uh, I'm going to gain your trust for 30 years, yeah. and then in 25 years, I'm really going to screw you over. Yay! Um, on October 12, 1987, Black Monday occurred on Wall Street. Fairbanks tried not to panic, but according to his clerk, he seemed concerned about how the stock market crash may affect his clients. Within a month, Patricia came to see him asking why she was not receiving dividend checks. He claimed her stocks had lost value due to, due to the crash and that he was turning the checks back in so that the stocks would not lose value. John Tweedy was another client. Yeah, just move the screen around. John Tweedy, don't do that. Unhighlighted. Messes me up. 
Uh, John Tweedy was another client who made Fairbanks legal guardian for his brother, Richard, who suffered from schizophrenia and lived in a mental institution. For 40 now, years. Now, I will mention the the John Tweedy guy. If any of you have watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he just reminds me of Cricket. <laughs> like Every time he'd come up, I was like, Oh, it's good to see crickets uh, living in the country these days. I love this guy, John <laughs> Tweedy. Oh my God, he was such a he was such a quirky, oh, yeah. small town character, like a New Englander. He had these, you know, glasses and this almost like Amish looking, like <laughs> facial configuration, and he just had a fucking pipe that yes. he smoked, and he was like, you know, when I first met Fairbanks, I thought he was a pretty okay guy. He was handling my brother's affairs. My brother has been a schizophrenic in a mental institution for 40 years. He was quirky. Yeah. In November 1988, John met with Fairbanks to discuss concerns about his brother's holdings. He asked Fairbanks about his brother's estate, but he seemed to avoid he seemed to avoid answering. John was suspicious, so he began his own investigation. He discovered that Fairbanks had sold stock and underreported what he had received for dividends. He found at least $20,000 was missing. John contacted the, the police and reported Fairbanks. Investigators discovered that he owned several large and expensive homes, which seemed suspicious for the amount of money he made. I like in the reenactment where it shows Fairbanks meeting up with John Tweedy, and uh, he's like, John, how are you doing? He's like, oh, well, hi there, Judge. What's, what's going on with my brother's holdings? Oh, John, I don't have those numbers up in my head. <laughs> Why don't you come by the office in a few days and we'll get everything sorted out? Oh, that's fine, John. I will. But uh, if you knew my brother's was in the red, then why wouldn't you have told me? Oh, John, just just you're you're a hard man to get yeah. a hold of. <laughs> John, uh, look, I, I got to go. And then he just leaves. And so John Tweedy starts investigating and he's like, I found that at least twenty thousand dollars was missing in uh, his reported dividends. And, uh, you know, I was brought up if. You see something wrong, then call the cops. So I called the cops. Yeah. My favorite part, um, just visually about this segment, was the incredibly terrible bald cap. That oh, the my God. On. It wasn't even the same color as his head. Every scene, just I died a little watching it because it was like it was his face was clearly like, you know, like peachy colored and this thing is like just gray, gray. like a deadish gray yeah. yeah that bald cap was like awful was, like he was wearing a dead person's scalp the crazy thing is is i'm looking at that actor and i'm like this <laughs> this looks like someone who would legitimately be bald he's just yep. got that old white guy potato face and <laughs> the cul-de-sac white hair around his head and i'm like this guy looks bald like he would be bald but then you look at the top of his skull, and it's clearly a bald cap. Yeah, it's so super strange. Whoever that poor bastard actor was, who I felt did a really good job, by the way, uh, he 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 had to. He apparently has a full head of hair. <laughs> you wouldn't know it to the you know, or you would you would know it watching this reenactment because the bald cap was so bad. <laughs> On June 6, nineteen eighty nine, Fairbanks resigned from the bench and retreated to his summer home in Maine. When John Tweedy's charges were made public, other clients came forward with their with their suspicions. Patricia Sawyer, for example, discovered that Fairbanks had placed her stocks into stock brokerage firms, even though she had not given him authority to do so. In total, she lost five hundred thousand dollars. And that's that's nineteen nineties money. Like that's yeah. that's like late eighties, early nineties money, which you can pretty like much double that. 
thousand maybe. Well, no, let's let's pull up the inflation calculator. I do this on time <laughs> from time to time because this show's so goddamn old. Uh, it's fun to uh, it's fun to see you know when they mention a figure in Unsolved Mysteries. It's fun to see how much it it actually uh, would be now in today's money. Um, so we're gonna type in five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. Oh You're pretty God. much doubling. So that would be uh, $941,842.88 now. So that's nearly a million dollars in back the you know today's money. What depresses me is I know I'll never see anywhere near even like 10% <laughs> that amount of money in my life. Oh, sorry. He minimized the screen, so now I I can't see. Um da 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 da. da. Yeah, investigators believe that Fairbanks had stolen so much money from various clients that he had completely cleaned their accounts. It is believed he has stolen over $10 million in a 20-year period. So make that about $20 million in today's yeah. money. When investigators spoke to him in Maine, he attempted to set up a meeting with them. However, he never showed up in Newport at the scheduled time. On December 28, 1989, Fairbanks was indicted on four counts of theft. The indictments listed more than 100 checks written by Fairbanks. These checks transferred money from clients' accounts to his personal accounts. The next day, his pickup truck was found near his home in Maine. He has not been seen since. But there is an update. So that case was featured October 9th, 1991. Um, and it was resolved in March 1994. After over four years on the run, Fairbanks' body was discovered lying dead in a Las Vegas hotel as a result of suicide by asphyxiation, but no trace of the stolen money has ever been found. It is believed that he committed suicide because he noticed one of the investigators from his case at the, at the hotel's casino. Fairbanks had been hiding out in luxurious condo complexes in and around Quebec City from 1991 to early 1994 under the assumed name Richard Mansfield. Richard Mansfield. Telling people that he was a retired history professor, because that makes money, um, who had taught in Ottawa and Boston. Police doubt they will ever find the money he stole. They believe that Fairbanks spent all of his clients' money before he took his own life. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I'd probably take myself to, like, Rio or Japan or something before that, too. I don't blame him. What's the point of a life when you're basically... Spending as much money as you can in 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 the until the event that you eventually get caught, in which case you are completely ready and willing to kill yourself on the spot. Yeah, I'd rather just live and be broke. <laughs> like, what live. kind of life is that? It's like not to mention you're stressed. Think of the stress. Yeah, that's like that's like me walking around just completely, you know. Living my life, I don't have any terminal illness or anything. As soon as I see someone who could be investigating me, it's like, all right, time to kill myself yep. today. Like, what kind <laughs> of a life is that? That sucks. Like, I don't know. I would rather be like poor and 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 uh, clean conscience than rich and a guilty ass conscience. Yeah, it's not even the the guilt for me, but the threat. I couldn't live under the duress that leading a life like that would cause because you're not really free you might have all the money but you're definitely not free in any in any way if you're constantly on the run or watching over your shoulder and you know it's no and the thing is 
he would have just gone to prison. He wouldn't have gotten the death sentence. He gave himself the death sentence. But he still ruined so many lives, like these uh, old lady was on there. And this the 500000 that he stole from that one lady, that he did that to another lady that was on the segment that wasn't mentioned here. Whose whole world was made out of crochet Afghans. <laughs> Dude, yeah, and she the, so seriously when she, when she was being interviewed, she had like a crocheted cardigan. She had a, a Afghan on the uh, sofa she was sitting on. I mean, that <laughs> whole entire house looked like she hand crocheted herself. That's why whenever she got fucked out of her money, she was not concerned because she knew she'd be able to rebuild everything <laughs> with two crochet needles. That's all she was going to need. She's just going to like post up asking you know like a homeless person but she's just asking for bundles of yarn that's that's all she really needs is some some yarn but yeah no i uh i just think it's funny that you basically traded your life you traded your life for some money and died earlier and i i don't i i can't fathom that uh, as someone who very adamantly does not want to die um I would rather just be broke and, uh, you know, uh, not carefree because that's not how being broke works, but not this level of concern. I have, you know, no desire to take my own life. That's pretty great. You know, it's more than I can say for a lot of people. But yeah, if you're going to be this shady and I love how in the beginning of the segment, they just make it a point to really hammer home. Oh, he was so honest. Everyone, he was just honest and you know, he's a good person and da da da. And it's like, mm, was he though? And they also uh, mentioned that the stock market crashed on his 65th birthday. That's retirement age, folks. So I don't, I, I'm assuming that that played a large role in his like, you know, twirling his mustache and getting the fuck out of Dodge with everybody's money. Unless he'd been doing it for a very, very long time. And he might he might have been in small increments, but the, the big the big theft seemed to happen pretty quickly toward the end, I think. He could have been suffering from some kind of uh, like old people depression, like, you know, my, my uh, you know, I'm getting up in, in, in age and retirement and blah, blah, blah. And I want to make sure I have a, an empire, a dynasty to my name. I don't want to be an old, broke person. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, he could. He probably he probably got greedy. That's what happens with a lot of these people who are in these positions of power, and he took advantage of it and he fucked a lot of people over. Which is, you know, it's this is what's called a white collar crime because he's not physically hurting anybody. He's not breaking into the old lady's house. But to me, these are these he's, are almost worse in a way because heartbreaking. Because you you destroy someone's like just everything. Everything I mean, they've worked for, and yeah. they're too old to do anything about it now, and. Now their entire future is uncertain when they're already too old and they thought they had done their entire life right to make sure that they were okay. This one lady was talking about how she might have to sell the land that she owns and it's the land that her ancestors have had here since the since the settlers first came over. And I was like, you know, my family doesn't even have land, so I can't even <laughs> I can't even like compete with that. But I'm like, man, how shitty is that? Like, you did everything right, and you are still the one that gets fucked anyway. And you're so old. Like, that should be the last thing you should have to worry about. I wouldn't be surprised if it led them to an early grave because of the stress, honestly. You know, because, like, what are you supposed to do at that point? 
if you have nothing and you didn't plan on having nothing, you planned smarter than that. So I don't know. It's, it's an incredibly sad and incredibly shitty thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad he, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he I wish they would have been able to recover some. Of yeah, that I know. He's such a little bitch, man. God, like, what a troll. Have, he couldn't have like, like, and I, I highly doubt that he spent that much. I mean, that's just so much. Maybe he did. I don't know. But it would have been nice if he could have given it a bit of it back. Like, you know, you're going to be dead anyway. You fuck. Why not? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's all that we have for this week because I have to get ready for my gig. Stephanie has to get ready for her gig. She's becoming a bartender. Has that been fun and exciting so far? It's, it's part time, guys. It's to help supplement since I do uh, DJ um, just like he does. Uh, karaoke, trivia, all that jazz. <laughs> Let's just say Stephanie owes me a good bit of money. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm working to get to get some cash monies. And given this line of work, it's hard to find part-time work that isn't kind of within that realm because of our weird sleep schedules and everything else that comes along with it. And the fact that you're not willing to get paid $10 an hour to do a job. At least I'm not. Um, after all the jobs I've had in my life, I am better than that. So no thanks. Um, so yeah, this is like a little like probably two day a week thing to help make stuff it. To help make... A uh, little little side scratch, so that'll be good. I'll scratch you, oh and I get to wear you know booty shorts, so I'm hoping oh that'll God. give me more tips. Apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur, with the fur, whole club looking. Anyway, yeah. um, yeah, so that's the podcast for this week. Okay. Oh my God. Um, if you want to check out the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries fan page on Facebook, just go to Facebook, go to the group section, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We will ask you like one question or two questions. One real question is, are you joining this group because you are a fan of the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast? And you would be surprised the amount of people who, who select no, which I don't <laughs> understand because the name of the group is the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries fan podcast. So me asking if you're joining it because you listen to the podcast should be a no fucking brainer, but this is the world we live in. Uh, if you want to contribute to us on Patreon, support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, we have rejiggered the tier system on there uh, to something that I feel more uh, honest about and I just feel better about because uh, now the perks on there, we can actually deliver faithfully um we were putting out some bonus segments here and there but we just weren't with the frequency that i would have liked to have seen mike could have helped me out a little bit more on that but you know whatever it is what it is uh the two the three dollar tier gets you the podcast early and the five dollar tier gets you the podcast early plus you can tell us what you want us to cover on the uh future episodes and if you're on patreon your suggestion goes to the top of the heap and we will definitely do it. Um, if you want to, for some reason, watch our uh, podcast on YouTube, if you want to listen to the audio on YouTube, uh, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's, um, well, I don't know if it, it gets a link yet because it's on YouTube. I think you have to hit 500 subscribers before they will give you your own uh, actual link. But uh, just search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries in YouTube and um, 
I have been slowly um, uploading all of the old episodes, um, you know, bit by bit on there for you guys, because I only started doing that maybe a month ago, max. Um, but I'm up, I think I'm on like episode 30 something at this point. So you guys, slowly but surely, all of the episodes will be up. It just takes a little bit of time, and it's something that uh, Josh had, didn't really have time to do before this point, so I'm helping out, uh, you know, it's the, it's the least we can do um, with how much the band gets promoted on here, so, you know, it's fair. Yeah, and if you guys are listening on here, then you probably have no use for the YouTube thing whatsoever, but it's there, so have fun with that. And finally, if you want to catch me on YouTube, you go to youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I do all kinds of different videos. I just covered um, the worst to best seasons of the show Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. I go through, I start off with the worst seasons and I go all the way up to my favorite. Um, We have our original music as Dancing with Ghosts on this YouTube channel. We have music videos. Uh, I do little documentaries like The Rise and Fall of Moby, Whatever Happened to Him, Billie Eilish, Making Mainstream Music Dark Again, The Most Disliked Videos on YouTube, uh, Limp Biscuit's Significant Other, 20 Years Later, Why Live Rap Music is Awful, A Time Lapse of Us Putting on Our Face Paint. There's all kinds of entertaining shit on there. So please check that out. Uh, Till next week, hope everyone has a good rest of their week and your week and everyone's week. And I want a Larry's Giant sub. Goodbye. I guess I'll say bye. Bye, guys. Wow.